This is the City Sites Podcast with Larry Kutzler. Well, some would say that we're living in the age of perpetual offense, where we're quick to judge, quick to criticize, quick to condemn, and quick to cancel anyone who offends us. Have you noticed that? It used to be just those who um, were more well-known, like we'd cancel the politicians or the athletes or the business leader, but unfortunately, now it might be someone like your school teacher that says something that you don't like. It could be the person that you work with, or it could be the friend on social media that just crosses some line, and so you just write them out of your life. It doesn't take much in the culture that we're in today. It could be a single misstatement. It could be a misunderstanding. It could be something very intentional, something very, very dumb. It could be a tweet that's 10 years old, but there might be a person that literally had years and years of integrity, but with one moment of foolishness or even one moment of sinfulness, we just completely write them out. This podcast is the design of City Sites Urban Media, and our goal is to bring into focus the difference between culture and God's ideas found in His Word. To learn more, go to citysitesurbanmedia.com. In a recent article about the woes being experienced by Hillsong Church, the leaders were described as authoritarian in oversight, it lacked financial accountability, they resisted free thought, and accented on strict fundamental teachings. The article actually finished up or summed up that Hillsong represented a toxic Christianity. So. There were other problems, too, with the church, uh, with promiscuousness of their founders and leaders. So even radio stations now are saying, we're not going to play your songs that you've created over the last couple of decades. And so that's kind of troubling to me. So I decided to ask my pastor, Walt McFadden, to join me today to unpack a conversation about the cancel culture and the church. Pastor Walt, before we get started, there's just a couple of scripture verses I want to just kind of be foundational for us. One is 1 Corinthians 5.11. It says, I meant that you were not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worships idols or is abusive or is a drunkard or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. And the other scripture, couple scripture verses, 1 Corinthians 15, 13 says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And out of Proverbs, we find don't befriend angry people or associate with hot-tempered people, or you will learn to be like them and endanger your soul. So this cancel culture that has entered the church has been around for a while. In fact, I've had clients who said, I don't associate with them because they believe such and such, so I don't have fellowship with them. Is that right? No. Well, it depends, of course, on why the what the belief is. Yeah, if they're really in false doctrine, and I would say, what is false doctrine? You have to define it as, it, are they breaking orthodoxy? Are they saying things like, God is not Trinitarian, or salvation is through someone else besides Christ, or some of the other issues? Are they in support or promoting 
homosexual marriage, those would be deal breakers for me. But too often there are simple issues like the role of women in the church or when is Jesus coming? Those kinds of things cannot be deal breakers for us. We have to have some solid foundation on which we establish and maintain fellowship in the body of Christ. You know, I had people talk to me about, you know, this very thing about when the rapture will happen. And some are so determined that the pre-trib rapture is it. They wouldn't associate with anybody who had a different point of view. And I kept thinking to myself, well, that's nuts because first of all, nobody really knows, right? So we're arguing out of ignorance in some ways. But a few years ago, there was a couple of female singers, very popular on all the Christian radio stations. One had a divorce, one had an affair, and the radio stations pulled their music, just like that. Now, is that something that we should be probably doing if somebody falls and is immoral for a period of time, and maybe they repented and came back? Where does repentance and restoration fit into a failure? Without getting into the weeds about are these people still profiting from this, that's an issue but let's just take it for what it is. I hate to use an old phrase, but the phrase is all truth is God's truth. And the truth is that they were hopefully making this music when they were right with Christ. And even if they weren't, if it's the truth, it's the truth. And I wonder how many people are relishing in the fall of Hillsong rather than lamenting, number one, the embarrassment to the church that it's causing and it gives the media a lot of ammunition to use against the church. See, they're fake, they're phony, they're hypocrites. And instead of saying, you know, Lord, keep this from happening again, and and this is an embarrassment to the church, and think about all the people who have been hurt through the ministry, Mm -hmm. who are a part of the ministry, who've supported the ministry. I know there have been a lot of red flags around Hillsong for a long time, but I don't want to attack someone's music just because they're are a few things that we don't like about that ministry. Now, we maybe have found the smoking gun that some people were looking for as far as Hillsong, but I've never had a problem with with their music. It just not bothered me. I thought it's been solid. Well, that goes to another topic, Ravi Zacharias. I looked online for, I don't know, for whatever reason, and there are 30 books there. Now, again, would that principle apply that when he was writing those books, if he was in the right spirit, Lifeway and all the Christian bookstores just threw his books out, but 30 books. I mean, over a lifetime. I mean, can the material be separate from the author themselves, I guess is what I'm asking. Oh, absolutely. I just wonder how much it goes to a broader picture, I suppose. And and this has happened throughout my lifetime. I remember when I was in college and my college had received some funds that were donated from a ministry that fell morally. And the first day they took the plaque off the piece of property that they had donated. I guess I can kind of understand that, but the cancel culture has really creeped into the church. And the cancel culture, at the heart of it, there's something really sinister there. Mm -hmm. It's really rejoicing in the failure of others. And it's got a tremendous amount of pride. See, we told you, we warned you, glad I'm not like that. Instead of the thankfulness that, Lord, you have by your grace protected me from falling and you protect my ministry from falling. And I, the Ravi Zacharias uh, issue 
and pulling the books off, that really bothers me because there's truth there. There's mm-hmm. a tremendous amount of truth there. I've never, I can't think of anything I've disagreed with Ravi Zacharias about. And why are we taking such a valuable resource to the church and just casting it aside for this reason? It just the church has to be more mature about things like this. It's, a, it's really an immaturity. It really is. You know, in terms of restoration, this is a tough one for me, Pastor, because I think anyone's restorable, regardless of what they did, right? And I have a friend who has been divorced three times, a Christian leader, three times. The guy probably has an issue with relationships, no question. But can that person be restored to the church in the church as some kind of a leader, or is he done forever? I think he's done forever. Really? Whoa, that's interesting. Yeah, because you can't hold relationship together. There's something in your character, a flaw that you have to, you have to get corrected. Why is it that you can't hold a marriage together? Now there's divorces that have happened in ministry and there are innocent parties and I don't think people should be disqualified for that. But there just comes a point when you say where there's smoke, there's fire. You've lost three marriages. There's a track record here that's been established as opposed to one time does not establish a track record. And I even know a person who went through two separate marriages, moral failures in both of them, and have maintained their credentials, their ministerial credentials. I'm not sure that person should continue in ministry. That's where it gets subjective where you say, okay, well, two times we have an innocent party. And I don't know all the circumstances of it. I just know that we have to be careful because that there's a misunderstanding, a, a misnomer that we should never worry about what the world thinks about us. Well, there's a passage in 1 Corinthians 14 where Paul says, if an unbeliever comes into your church and there's chaos, you're damaging your witness. And I think the same principle applies there has to be order in the church service and there has to be order in the church. And these kinds of issues can be handled on an individual basis, but I would be highly reluctant to follow a person who has lost two or three marriages. And and the other part of it is we live in a world where somebody is gonna credential that person, regardless of their past. There's always a place that you can go and you can get credentialed and you can get, and you can start a church and people may know nothing of that person's background. It's just gonna continue to happen. But my advice to a person like that is, serve in the church, help in the church, use your gifts in the church, but don't be the head of a ministry if you have that kind of a background. Well, would that person be open to, for example, to be on a leadership team or some other committee within the church, not necessarily the pastor or even an elder, but some other form of leadership, would you be open to that? Yeah, I'd be open to okay. that. Okay, yeah. so there's some grace here, because I, I just don't know. I, I mean, my dilemma, Pastor Walt, has been over the years, and you know, I've, been, I've worked for a lot of ministries, I've been a pastor for a number of years, and I know that there is no perfect people, no perfect ministries, no perfect church. I know City View is perfect, I get it, but you know, outside of City View, right? <laughs> Careful now. Yeah, I know. But I'm just saying that all of these relationships I've had, imperfect people led them. 
And I'm just wondering where in the world, I mean, how do we define sin? Okay, so this person, three marriages down, should not be qualified. But then this person over here lies some and is dishonest in a lot of different ways, is abusive, perhaps even a bully. I mean, is there some sort of criteria we can say, you're out when you do this, you're okay if you do this? Thoughts? Yeah, I don't think there is a cut and dry although most of those are probably more cut and dry than we think. You know, some of them are just obvious. We do have those rare subjective instances that need to be handled on a case-by-case basis. And that has to be brought under the authority of godly people. Both of us have experienced and been in ministries where we have seen abuse and we haven't seen those kind of demonstrative sins where it's like you can point to it and say, bam, you did that and now you're disqualified. A lot of times it's things below the surface and that sounds like what was happening over at Hillsong. There were just some questionable things where somebody rises to a position of authority and there's no accountability. And part of the cure for this is plurality of leadership. I make sure that in my church, I am not the chairman of the board. I don't make all of the decisions. Mm -hmm. I'm not the head elder. So there are two important positions in the church that I do not occupy. And that's the danger is when we get into that position and the ministry is going so well and everyone is afraid to confront the leader, or if they do, they're ostracized and they're sectioned off until they're eventually just going to leave the ministry. But overall, most of these issues can be handled with grace on a case-by-case basis. Well, I want to talk about restoration a little bit because restoration is not something we talk a lot about in the church, and maybe we should or shouldn't. I'm not sure, but restoration is an important piece. Now, hypothetically speaking, if Ravi Zacharias lived and he came to repentance, would he still be able to be fit for ministry? Yeah, I think so. If he went through the right channel, a good maybe year or two year period away from ministry. Then one of the fellowships I served before, I was quite impressed with their method of restoring ministers. They would leave the town that they were in and go somewhere else and serve in a church for a year or two and be scrutinized and closely watched under the authority of another pastor until they're ready to be restored in ministry. But then if you see a pattern of that, and you see there's also another issue here, which is there's a legality issue and we are under the authority of the government. So let's suppose a guy commits some act of sexual sin in one church and then he's restored and he does it again. There's still some legality that goes back to the denomination that will ordain him or license him. So we have to be careful about those two things. And that's a case where that's the point I'm trying to make is that this person becomes a liability and they become an embarrassment to the church and they're not worth the risk. And they have put themselves in this position. We reap what we sow. And that might just be, hey, you need to be in a position here in the church where you're not the head person. Are you willing to take that position and humble yourself? To prevent some of these things from happening within the church, I I like what you said, the plurality of leadership. It gives people an opportunity to review and observe. But at the same time, it seems to me that in a church, you have to have relationships 
that are honest relationships between leaders, because that's where I think you would find a leader maybe going off the rails a little bit, and you can step alongside as a friend and say, hey, buddy, you know, this is not healthy for you. How do we create those relationships within a church that way? Because I think of Bill, was it Bill Hybels, or was it, maybe it was Jimmy Swaggart, I don't remember, but one of those leaders, basically they said, but who do we go to? I have no relationships at the position I'm in. So who's gonna hold me accountable? Your thoughts? Oh, that's a, that's a very important question. I just went through an assessment and I allowed people to speak into my life. Some of it was a little bit painful and uh, it stung a little bit, but there are some things I needed to hear. And maybe I was doing those things or not, but I don't want to even give off the perception that I might not be teachable or I might be defensive or whatever somebody might say about me. I have to hold myself accountable. And the other part is that I am in relationship with leadership where they can speak into my life and they know that they're free to to say something without punishment. That's what we do is we get into position where people are scared to say something. Well, you're in a rare situation there. You, you know you know that, don't you? Because in most churches and ministries, you don't say anything. Because if you do, your career is ended one way or another. So you have established in an organization that you're able to do that, which is great. Pastor Walt, it, relationships are important. And I, you say you have them. How do you develop them? I mean, how do you keep a relationships open enough where pers- a person could say, Pastor Walt, you know, the way you drive is nuts <laughs> or whatever it is. You know what I'm saying? How do you develop that so they can be honest with you? I just choose to be in open and deep relationships with my leadership. I like my leadership. I spend time with them outside of the church. I'm not closed off to them. You and I have heard about this and learned this, that in some ministerial training, you're taught, don't get close to the people that are going to hurt you. But I just have not seen that and I have not observed that in my in my life. If you hide in your office all the time, you're giving people reason or cause to accuse you of whatever it might be. He's closed off, he's unfriendly, he doesn't care, whatever it is. I came from a hurtful situation and one of the important decisions that I made coming to this church was I wasn't gonna let that past affect my ministry here. And so I decided that I was gonna go into relationship with people. And I found them very warm and very welcoming. A lot of the problems that we have in the church can be solved by being in relationship with one another. Sometimes it just doesn't work because I know plenty of pastors have gone to churches and there's a person there who is not gonna budge and not gonna move. And that's a ministry where the person probably just needs to move on and find another church, but they're out there. and I love the reward of being in relationship. I was just talking about this yesterday. I have many deep relationships. I was mentoring a young man in our church and I said, where are your deep relationships? Where is your John and where are your Peter, James and John and where are your 12 disciples? Like Jesus had that. And he said, well, I don't I don't really have that. So I said, well, okay, here's what you gotta do. You gotta go to a couple of men in the church and you got to say a very uncomfortable thing for men to say, I need to be closer to you. I want to be closer to you. I want a deeper friendship with you. I've done that. It has been very rewarding in my life. 
It's a little bit easier to be a lay person, I hate that word, but somebody who is not a leader in the church to do exactly what you just said. I mean, it, there's nothing to really lose on that. But a leader has something to lose because a leader is expected to be better than. Whether they are or not doesn't matter. It's the perception of the congregation that says, I want my leader to be able to say, like the coach, I know what's better or what is best for you. So when a leader like that comes to a, somebody in the congregation, say a small group or a life-on-life group, and begins to confess and open their lives up in relationship, isn't that dangerous? I, I'm thinking about these, as you're talking, I'm thinking about these bigger ministries, and I'm thinking about how you get to this place. I knew of a church where when there was a potluck, there was a separate room where the pastor and his wife would eat their meal and people could only come into that room if they were asked to come into that room and that kind of isolation. But what I'm thinking about is why does it have to be, say, for example, a relationship between a pastor and an assistant pastor or, or a senior pastor and a youth pastor? Why does it have to be dictatorial? What are we afraid of as a leader that they're going to see our faults, that they're going to see that we're human? And so why do we have to drive our staff so hard? Why do we have to border on abuse? Why do we have to get on their case so hard every time they make a mistake? Mm -hmm. They're there learning and they're learning on the job. They need a lot of grace. And that to me is where it begins, is my relationship with those who are closest to me. I can get people who don't know me very well to think I'm a great guy. What I want to do is I want the people who know me to think I'm a great guy. And I want to know if I'm doing some things that are abusive or if I'm cutting people down, if I'm embarrassing them in, you know, we do a lot of kidding, kidding around in our relationship and as a staff, and we have a lot of fun, but we don't ever do it to humiliate a person. And I've seen that. I've seen it Mm -hmm. where leaders do that. And that's the most disappointing of all is when you see leaders do those kinds of things. Well, I've sat under your ministry now for a couple of years, and I've appreciated the fact that you're vulnerable to your congregation. You will say things like, well, I have been down this path, I've done that, and it's not good, or whatever. You, you open yourself up, and I'll tell you, Pastor, that is endearing to the people that are listening to you, because they can now say, hey, I have a pastor who understands who I am and what I'm going through. So continue to do that because I just think it's a, it's a great ministry as well. Last question, I want to come back to what we first started to talk about, and that is uh, associations and being guilty by association. I know leaders who will say, I will not even stand on the same stage as somebody who believes different than me or has, you know, maybe he's had or she's had some kind of a reputation of failure in their life, and they won't even go near that stage to that platform or to that ministry. And then I stop to think for a few minutes, because Galatians says, if 6.2 says, if, if there's a brother or a sister who is in failure, come alongside of them. Be careful that you don't get pulled into their sin or, you know, and that sort of thing. But where is the coming alongside, the compassion part of guilty by association? I I don't see it, personally. Your thoughts? No, I don't either. And what we're talking about 
is a ministry, a massive ministry, a well-known ministry that I'm not in position to come alongside of and make correction. Correct. And so the big question is, do I still access their resources? Do I still listen to their music? And, uh, it, you know, it's on a case by case. Also, what you're saying there, if I am in a position where I can go to someone, I have a relationship with them. I'm breaking scripture if I don't do that. And I'm bringing reproach on the church and that it continues to affirm people's criticisms of the church. Right. That everyone's hypocrites. They don't get along. They don't like each other. Those kinds of things. I don't know if I'm answering your question. Well, I think uh, you, I think you have. It's just the fact that we always have to have mercy and compassion toward people who may fall or may have a moral failure of some kind because we want them in the kingdom. It's not like, well, you have one strike and you're out. You know, I think we have to be open because I had a relationship with a person that, you know, maybe three, four times did me wrong, you know, stole from me, lied about me. And I stuck with that person and they are restored today. But I wanted to say, hey, you're a worthless person. All you're going to do is create problems for me. So, so long. But something compelled me to say, no, stay with them because there's some value here. So last but not least, Pastor Walt, you are pastor of City View Church in South Minneapolis. You have a great ministry going. You're learning as you go, obviously, with all kinds of programs and outreaches. So tell us a little bit about the church. What what would you say the church overall emphasis is? Discipleship. You knew <laughs> I was going to say that, didn't you? Well, I did, but I'd you know people don't know me, and they don't know you, yeah, <laughs> and they don't know. know our relationship. So, discipleship. Yeah, Can you right. unpack that? Sure. We encourage the kind of relationships that I've been talking about throughout this podcast. That we want people to be under somebody who's older and more mature, who will speak into their life, but who also has the humility to allow people to speak into their life as well. And we've seen some very steady growth with a lot of young people coming into the church because they're really craving those kinds of adult relationships that are missing in their life. The absence of a father or mother or just wanting someone else older to speak into their life about motherhood, fatherhood, raising children, job, those kinds of things. They do so much better than just answer. I I can't answer all those questions in a sermon. And so the life on life groups, as we call them, and it's really about doing life together, not just meeting one time a week for a Bible study or for fellowship, but it's really about opening your heart to one another and walking with one another as Jesus walked with his disciples. Well, it's really about relationships, which we're talking about today as well. So what's your website, Pastor Walt? cvcmpls.org. Thanks, Pastor, for being with me today. Remembering things today is getting harder and harder for all of us. So much information, so many passwords, so much technology to master, it all seems a blur at times. But one thing we hope will never be a blur, and that is how much God loves you. The Bible tells us His mercy is new every morning, brewed special for your day. Thanks for listening. At City View Church, we work hard at knowing God and making Him known. We believe that our mission is to go out and make disciples. It's pretty simple. A disciple is a follower of Jesus. But rather than try to explain it, 
At City View, we just show you. Located in South Minneapolis, we exist to reach and connect with everybody. We carry our message of discipleship by living it out every day. We're a community of regular people who have all had their lives radically transformed by Jesus Christ. We show what we have by embracing it, living it, and giving it away. Come check us out and see for yourself what we're all about. City View Church is a place to find God and be used by Him to make a difference in our world. Thank you for joining us today. Every Friday we bring you this podcast with interviews with people who are challenging the status quo of Christianity and challenging the cultural norms of our day. Please help us get the word out by sharing the link to this podcast with your online friends and family. Our website also contains other podcasters who are part of the City Sites network of communicators all sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Our website is citysitesurbanmedia.com.